Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. Okay, friends, we got to keep this train moving along, so go ahead and wrap up those conversations. Find your way back to your seats. And as you conclude those conversations, I'm going to invite Katie Smith to come forward. And as Katie's coming up, I want to direct your attention to the Advent cards under your chairs. Um, if you have not seen those already, uh, those are cards that will guide you through each week of the Advent season. You don't need to look at it right now. I just wanted to make sure you knew it was there. Uh, and there's some family activities, some discussion questions, and ways for you to engage the Advent season as uh, we move into week three. So having said that, uh, we're going to spend some time looking at a passage this morning from Zephaniah, which is a cult classic. Uh, <laughs> so Katie's going to read Zephaniah for us. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Thank you, Katie. All right. So beautiful words there. And uh, we'll spend some time setting some context around them for a few minutes, and then we'll uh, apply them to our lives. I want to begin with this. We had a, a little party at our house last night, had some friends over. Uh, we had a great time. And uh, it was a full week uh, leading up to this. So yesterday was the storm before the calm of us trying to get the house ready for the party. Uh, and so, you know, all of the cleaning and the, the bickering that comes with the cleaning and the different expectations about the cleaning and all of this stuff. Uh, and we have this basement in our house. The basement is a place that not many of us go into other than the kids. So Holly and I don't spend a whole lot of time in the basement, but the kids do. When I go down to the basement, it is hard to tell if a giant party has happened or if a war has broken out. I mean, stuff, I just, whatever you're imagining, just increase it. It is, it is amazing what happens in the basement. And then we work to clean it up again. You know, we, we, we put the mess away and we get everything back in their place and we sweep and we clean the stains and all of the stuff. And then the next day you go back down and they've done it again. It's amazing. 
uh, and it's like the lights are on again. How many times must I explain that the electric bill has to actually be paid, and therefore you cannot leave the lights on all day long at all times? Uh, there are times it's like you're down there and you're like, what even is that? Is that a piece of fruit? Is that, like, it, who even knows what we're looking at anymore? I love my kids. They're wonderful. <laughs> They're great. But boy, they make a mess. Um, they make a mess. And what do I do in that moment? Uh, what is the wise parental response to the sudden onset frustration of walking in, having cleaned up a mess, only to find it a mess again? And of course, like, you want to raise your kids into maturity. You want them to recognize what it is to be appropriate in terms of caring for a space. You want them to understand natural consequences for unthoughtful behavior. But of course, you also want them to remember the bigger picture, right? And so, like, the words start to come out of my mouth, like, what have you done to this place? And something stops me in my better moments and I remember that also what about the fact that these are my kids and they're going to know my heart and who I am to them not only in them learning to keep a clean basement but also in them remembering my heart for them when they're wayward when when they lose sight of responsibility when they make a mess and ultimately they will know who I am to them by how I respond to their immaturity, not just their maturity. And so in that moment, I pray the prayer that is well-formed on the lips of every parent. I say, may my mercy overcome my anger. <laughs> may my mercy overcome my anger. And that brings us to Zephaniah. Uh, if you know Spotify, like if you have a Spotify account, at the end of the year, it gives you this list of like what songs you listen to most in the year. If we had something for the Bible that did that, and it was like, these are the verses you read the most this year, Zephaniah would be on no one's list, right? Uh, it's, it's not one that we spend all that much time in, but it's a great joy verse, which is why it shows up in the lectionary here. But because we don't spend a lot of time with Zephaniah, in order to engage these beautiful words that Katie just read, we also need to set a larger context and understand where those words fall in the midst of the three chapters of Zephaniah. It's a very short book. You can read it in 10, 15 minutes on your drive home if you'd like. But whereas the words Katie read are great joy words and they're beautiful and they're comforting and they're uplifting, the rest of Zephaniah is a mess. I mean, Zephaniah is not happy about the situation unfolding in Judah at the time. They have made a mess of the place. They have set up idols. They have lost sight of God's way. And Zephaniah the prophet uh, comes to say, things are not okay in this status quo that we've become comfortable in, and we need to be led back to life in God, right? And so let's look at it. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1, it starts like this. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah. I didn't get it any better in the second service than I did in the first service. Son of Amira, son of Hezekiah, in the days of King Josiah. So lots going on right there just in those words. First of all, Zephaniah is son of Cushi. Cush means the land of Ethiopia. And in both Hebrew and Greek, Cushy means black. And so what we have here is a black prophet who has been brought into the palace, and he's in the palace of King Josiah, and he's saying, stuff going on in our world is not okay. 
And then he is son of Hezekiah. His great-great-grandfather is Hezekiah. Hezekiah is in the lineage of Jesus. So in a uh, connected way, Zephaniah is part of the history of Christ. And King Josiah. Now, if you know the annals of the kings of Judah, <laughs> uh, Josiah was one of the best kings. Uh, in fact, he's compared as only having an equal in King David. Josiah enacted great reforms, and he said things are not okay. And it's actually possible that Josiah realized things are not okay because of the prophetic work of Zephaniah. Zephaniah alerts Josiah, we have lost sight of the way of God. And Josiah enacts these great reforms and they tear down the idols and they bring the people back to a place of fasting and humility and back to the way of God. And as a result, Josiah goes down as one of the great kings. However, not long after this, they are taken into exile. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and the Babylonian exile happens. And so it's in that context that we get Zephaniah. Um, and if we're only reading the lectionary passage Katie read, uh, we'd think things are going pretty good, like the reform is working pretty well. But if you read the rest of Zephaniah, you get not quite so pleasant of a picture um, that is happening on the streets, uh, so to speak. And so let's look at some of what Zephaniah has to say. Uh, this is going to be fun. I'm going to make a clean sweep of the earth, a thorough house cleaning, God's decree. Men and women and animals, including birds and fish, anything and everything that causes sin will go, but especially people. Cries of terror from the city's second quarter, sounds of great crashing from the hills, wail you shopkeepers on Market Street. Money-making has had its day, the God money is dead. On judgment day, I'll search through every closet and alley in Jerusalem. I'll find and punish those who are sitting it out, fat and lazy, amusing themselves, taking it easy. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> the great judgment day of God is almost here. It's countdown time. Seven, six, five, four. Zephaniah's not messing around. Judgment day is payday. My anger paid out, a day of distress and anguish, a day of catastrophic doom, a day of darkness at noon. This is the day of God's judgment, my wrath. I care about sin with fiery passion. Whew. Reminds us of the Luke 21 passage from a few weeks ago where Jesus says, like, woe to you and run for the hills and the moon will be turned dark and all. I mean, these are apocalyptic heavy words. God's judgment is coming. And of course, judgment means the setting of wrongs right, right? We attach a lot to that word, but it means the setting of wrongs right. Deborah Block says this. Um, she says, the prophet is as much a voice of Advent as is the evangelist. And why? Because prophets feel God's compassion for us, God's anger with us, God's joy in us, they dream God's dreams, they hope God's hopes, they announce God's future, they will God's will, and live it against all odds. And so Zephaniah saying, things are not okay here, and, and I'm going to announce the word of the Lord that God is coming to set all things right. So when we come to this text 3,000 years later, uh, if we just read the lectionary passage in its isolation, it functions a lot like a chicken soup for the soul encouragement uh, of comfort for already comfortable people. That's not what's going on in this passage. 
And so if we want to engage this passage deeply, we have to understand that it is being heard in the throes of national devastation and isolation and exploitation and exile because God's people had forgotten God's ways. And there are consequences and there's loss and there's destruction. And without that context of the setting of wrongs right, the surprising promise that breaks through at the end of Zephaniah loses its ballast. It doesn't make as much sense. But we're going to find that there is a surprising twist that comes as we hold the tension of the heavy Zephaniah 1 and 2 and the beautifully joyful, redemptive good news of Zephaniah 3. That's where this becomes a gospel message, not just an everything's okay message. We're going to find that God breaks through in the midst of the mess. Uh, no sermon is complete without a quote from Bob Ross. <laughs> just let you look at Bob for a second. He says, put light against light, you have nothing. Put dark against dark, you have nothing. It's the contrast of light and dark that each give the other one meaning. And that's Advent. And that's Zephaniah 1 and 2 and Zephaniah 3. Um, so promise, the good news of God, is always and also in our lives part of a larger story that necessarily includes suffering and struggle and sin and so that's how we enter this text authentically, recognizing that we're in the midst of a much larger story here, and God will indeed come to set things right, but that means that at some point things have gone wrong in our story. There's this fascinating exchange in the Talmud, which is the oral rabbinical teaching of Judaism, and uh, someone says, does God pray? Does God pray? And if so, what does God pray? And one of the rabbis responds, the Lord prays, may my mercy overcome my anger. It's the parental prayer of the mess in the basement. We've messed things up again. And there are consequences. And there is a leading into maturity. But also, may my mercy overcome my anger. And so we make the mess, but just as Jesus did at Advent, uh, God enters Israel's story, and God enters our story right in the middle of the mess. I'm going to invite us to listen to this.
So the Zephaniah story is my story, is your story, is the story. People make a mess of things, and there's purple and purple and purple, and then suddenly joy. Joy. Joy bursts through right in the middle of it. We think joy only comes at the end, but the news of Advent, the news of the gospel is like Jesus shows up in the middle of the And that's what we get here in Zephaniah. So we'll spend a few minutes just looking at a few of these verses, and then we'll come to the table. Verse 9. In the end, this comes right after, like, you know, all the hard language we, we read. All of a sudden, sudden break. Change in tone. Good news. In the end, I will turn things around for the people. I'll give them a language undistorted and unpolluted, words to address God in worship and united to serve me with their shoulders to the wheel. Verse 10, they'll come from beyond the Ethiopian rivers, Zephaniah's hearkening to his homeland. They'll come praying. All my scattered, exiled people will come home with offerings for worship. They will be led back to life in God. I want to look at a few things from two different angles. First of all, who God is, and second of all, what God will do. So first of all, who God is. If we go to the next one, sing aloud, O daughter Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. And so God is Father, speaking tenderly to his child, praying that parental prayer And he says, child of mine, like I came in guns blazing, but I have reversed my judgment, right? Something catches the heart of God. And he says, you know what? Instead of turning against this mess, I have turned away your enemies. I'm going to save the day. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. The king is in your midst. For a long time, a king in the midst of this group of people is bad, bad news. Because the king controls the quality of life, and a bad king means bad news. But the king Israel, the king of Israel, the Lord, is in the midst. 
suddenly becomes good news because it's an all-compassionate king. And then in the next part, God becomes actually the first evangelist of Emmanuel, right? He says, the Lord will be in your midst. And so on that day, it will be said, you shall fear disaster no more. Do not fear, O Zion. Of course, when an angel shows up in, in the biblical story, right? What's the first words out of their mouth? Like, fear not, right? And so God shows up with those same words here in the prophecy. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Angel being a messenger of good news, it's where we get the word evangelical, evangelism. It has angel in the word because it simply means to be a messenger of good news, of glad tidings. So God actually becomes the, the first evangelist here. He shows up to say, do not fear. And why should you not fear? Because God's in your midst. And why do we need to hear don't fear? we're afraid we're afraid that our lives are not significant we're afraid that our work and our life and our hopes may not matter we fear the loss of control the loss of provision the loss of power running scared in a scarce world afraid of being exposed and known and we afraid afraid ultimately that god's not with us that he won't come through but God is in your midst, so do not be afraid. And then God will. God will, uh, in the next one for me, Danny, thank you. Happy to have you back. God will renew you. So as this is our story, what does that mean for you? That God will be happy to have you, and he will renew you in his love. And I perishified the next phrase. He will boisterously sing over you, right? That's part of our Advent tradition. He will sing over you with, with jubilation, with, with like an energy because he's so excited to have his child home again. He will heal and gather. Judgment day suddenly becomes not a day of terror, but a day of healing, the setting of wrongs right. And all of your accumulated sorrows of exile will dissipate. I, your God, will get rid of them for you. Do you, do you sense this? parental, like, I'm going to step in and save this. I will deal with all of your oppressors at that time. I will change and redeem the story. Joy interrupts the darkness, disrupts the darkness, erupts in the darkness. That's when he comes, like right in the middle of the darkest day. When things look like hope is lost, a radical turn, the world is a mess, but thanks be to God, God will heal the story. So I want to ask us this before we come to the table. And just we'll take a moment of reflection here. How might you live in the reality of God's joy in the midst of the dissonance and disappointment of life? And I want to encourage us to listen for the deeper promise the deeper rhythm of good news in our world. Because we get so distracted by the little off notes that interrupt our life and interrupt our agenda and interrupt our desires and we miss the constant flow of the rhythm of God's faithfulness that is in the heartbeat of this world. What might it look like to draw more attention away from the distractions and the dissonant notes and to the big story, to the big rhythm, to hear that God is active in the darkness, 
The darkness distracts us, but the deeper level is the rhythm of God's good song. And so joy then is not a feeling, and it is not naive simplicity. It is wisdom flowing from deep roots that all will be well. That's what this story is. So I'll ask you two questions, and then we'll be done today. They'll come up on the screen here. If you want to close your eyes, that's fine. If you want to engage them with your eyes open, that's fine. But let's apply this to our story now. So first of all, where is God coming to you right in the middle of the mess? Let's take a moment and just reflect on that. Where is God coming in the mess? And then, therefore, is the pain you're trying to exile the actual place Jesus desires to add events into. Meaning so often we try to export the interruptions of our life, but it's actually there in the middle of it that God comes. Disguised as our life with good news. Jesus, we bring our mess to you today. And we're thankful that you incarnate into broken places where there is not otherwise room for you. That's where you are born. And Christ is born into our lives in the middle of the mess. And therefore, there is joy. Thank you for good news in our stories of Zephaniah 1 and 2 that you break through with Zephaniah 3. We trust you for that in our very ordinary lives here and now today. In Jesus' name, amen.